Hello, Dr. Mike from the East Coast of the USA. That's where I'm from, the East Coast Mike. <laughs> and West Coast Mike, how are you doing? That would be me. That I'm would doing be well, thank you. And Liz Hargraves yep. from London. We're here tonight to talk about the change to uh, working situations from remote to returning to work and hybrid uh, situations. There's plenty on the internet around hybrid work or the, the new way of working, you know, the future of work. It's been discussed at the moment, a really hot topic. Uh, so we're not going to really speak to what the mechanics of that is going to be uh, and what it can look like for you in terms of, you know, all the opportunities that your employer will give you. Rather, we want to come to this from the angle of how you might feel about your change circumstances and um, what you might be able to potentially do with that. There's much, much change ahead. We've seen change in, the early, in early 2020 when we all went home from work and started to work from, uh, remotely from our own uh, kitchen tables and home offices. And now, what is it, a year, 15 months later, we're looking, we're all looking at something different. So, you know, another ra uh, radical change. So I think I'd like to hand over to the experts, that is Dr. Mike and Mike. Um, change, change is the order of the day. Let's talk about it. It has a lot to do with the individual and just exactly how they begin to even respond to life. You know, um, I mean, we're probably really good examples of, or not, of dealing with change from different perspectives in how we address life. And I think part of what you're referring to is that we, we commented earlier that when the COVID uh, crisis hit us, uh, basically change was forced upon, it was just kind of foisted on everyone. Uh, there was no choice. You just, and all of a sudden, people were left trying to deal emotionally with what's going on and change. And we talk about where that comes from sometimes emotionally, and I think Mike's probably going to address that in just a moment. But that sense of somewhat being out of control, um, which is kind of a fascinating thing now because you were, you know, the the three, the trident, as Mike called it earlier the, the three parts of this, either people are working remote, they're going they're returning, or they're doing hybrid. Well, basically everybody at the very beginning, and I know that's a bad word to use, but, but literally everyone was foisted to go and remotely work. There wasn't any choice between the three. Now we have three that we're working with. And so that, that makes a real difference on how we begin to deal with change because that uh, really starts some new feelings that happen uh, from the standpoint of, uh, I, don't get, I don't get to choose in many situations. Before you, you didn't get to choose either, but everyone was on the same playing field for the most part. That's not true anymore. Uh, so Change has a is, a is a really fascinating dynamic in our lives that brings about some uh, interesting emotions for us. One of the challenges that we are facing, many people are facing, is that the work environment itself 
has undergone change, not just the workers or where you happen to be working from, but the very uh, essence of the work environment has been shifted and radically in some cases. A very good friend of mine is a manager of a local branch uh, of a banking system here in the United States. He's a close friend. And I stopped in to uh, chat with him, which I haven't really been able to do in the last 15 months. I asked him how things are going. And from behind his plexiglass shield, he shook his head sadly and he goes, everything is so different here. Now I know that he, as a manager, was an essential worker. So he went to work in the bank every day on his scheduled work times, just like he always had. But he said, here's what's interesting. So few customers were permitted to come into the bank that the bank decided we don't need as many tellers as we've had before. So many were encouraged to either move into other aspects of banking or they retired either by choice or by force. They were fired. What happened to my friend, the manager, is that as the, the bank environment has reopened, the banking system will not hire more tellers. So he goes and functions as a teller during lunch breaks when the one person who is serving in that role has to take a required 30 minute break. And he has been reduced to the role that he played 29 years ago when he first started in the banking environment. And it's incredibly resentful that the bank won't stand behind him as a high level professional managing a branch all the business customers, hundreds of millions of dollars that flow in and out of the system. And he's handing some lady $2.41 out of her checking account. And, and so the very nature of work itself has changed, not just that he doesn't get to go home and work from home in his jammies, but he's been put into a role that he left more than two decades ago, and he has no option as to how he does that. Very interesting conversation, not just about change in the work environment, but changes in his role he did not ask for, did not want, and has a very strong emotional resentment about being compelled into that new role. I can understand that. Um, we'll call that career regression, shall we? And I think that that's a, quite a concern of, several, of many people. I have seen that come up um, as um, roles change. And you can understand in an organisation that roles are going to change. One way or another, they do over time for different reasons. Uh, and um, so what happens? Do we, do we need to be flexible and go with that? You know, it opens up a whole new line of thought and of questioning, doesn't it, around what you want to do? Your friend, does he reconsider his options? Does he, you know, get ready to retire? I don't know what, at what stage he's at, but um, he's obviously... He actually did bring that up. And he said, I was prepared to stay with this bank until I was into my mid-60s when they require managers to step down. But he said, I can get out in two years and I am seriously thinking at what moment can I walk out that door? And I could hear the bubbling resentment that had to do with life choices that he wasn't prepared to make for another 10 years. 
But now all of a sudden that's kind of being thrown into his life and he's struggling to deal emotionally with what that means. Now that's not a new concept that that happened. That's happened several times <clears throat> over my life when there's been some severe interruption to, um, to banking. Actually, I'm out of banking myself. So, uh, and I've seen <clears throat> the old guard become disenchanted with whatever the change is and they take an early retirement or, you know, the same concept exactly. Right. Um, but for different reasons, not pandemic related, um, obviously. So um, that, you know, that I guess that sort of interruption is something we encounter as several times potentially through a whole working life. Um, but how do we handle that for our good, not for the good of the organization, but, you know, how do we best handle that sort of interruption? Well, one of the struggles also is that the organization may not want its workers to handle it for them, where there's individuals who say, for the good of the organization, for this company that I've given my life to, I really want to help with that. And the organization itself may say, thank you, but no thank you. Uh, we are in doing changes intentionally to drive higher paid workers out of our business and have newer ones come in with different skill sets, but largely a different commitment level. Sure. That's very interesting to see happen. Yeah, I have seen that before too. But I would say to anyone who said, who puts the organization ahead of themselves, well, just don't, just stop doing that. <laughs> Put yourself just first, stop. just stop that. <laughs> stop. <laughs> Self first. And of course, the organization is part of your life um, at this time, but it, that can change. But it, it's also there to serve you as, and your, your home life and your whole um, personal environment. It's not just that you're there to serve it or the organization. That, that's true. We're not going to get into personality types, but there are persons who are very loyal. It is woven into their very DNA to be loyal to family, to country, to business, to friendships, to neighborhood. And when some of those organizations or family structures say, we don't want you to be loyal to us, that's just not merely an attitude shift. That really rips apart the, a person's very heart mm. because they have loyalty built into who they are. There are others who are change agents who say, give me the slightest reason to punch you in the face and walk out the door and I'll do it. Maybe I don't even need a reason. Bang, here I go. So <laughs> the personality type plays into some of this as well. For sure. So the loyal person, when they're in this situation, imagine your friend is, you know, perfectly loyal, deeply loyal as you're talking um, to this uh, bank that he works for. What does he do to um, manage this change that is foisted upon him right now hmm. for his own sake? There are individuals for whom a vortex of pain, of exhaustion, falls upon them because the, what they value the most is disregarded. And so it's easy for us to sit here and comment and say, well, just change your perspective or shift your emotions mm -hmm. over to another area. But the person for whom loyalty 
is an extremely high value. It's, it's beyond value. It's beyond habit. It's really identity. Right. We may have an excruciating time dealing with a company that says, we've been loyal to you for decades, but that's over. We're not loyal to you anymore. And your loyalty to us doesn't matter. And so that there can be an excruciating pain, face that pain, own it, realize the depth of your feeling instead of denying that and, and begin to move through it, not away from it. I think one of the things that happens in those settings uh, with particular people who are extremely loyal, um, uh, I experienced this in, in my own professional life a bunch of years back when, and I'm not, I'm very loyal, but I'm, I'm not really of that kind of mindset. And yet for me, even though I am a change agent, um, I, I'm, I, that's just who I am. Uh, when I found myself professionally in a place where uh, the very thing Mike was talking about happened and I, and loyalty was not valued and I had worked and had, you know, worked my way into a significant role uh, within the organization, but it was very disregarded. I remember uh, distinctly because that had been my professional career distinctly having that deep sense of fear that it was kind of like the ground opened up and there was nothing there anymore and that whole sense of fear then translated into inadequacy in my own thinking of well i I can't do anything else. This is the only thing I know and there's nothing available to me. Now, what am I going to do? And in that time I had, you know, I had five kids, my wife and a mortgage. And it was like, and that was uh, a, a real uh, teaching time for me in realizing that coming to grips with owning that fear that was going on and realizing that, wait a minute, um, there's more going on here than just that aspect of me. I can do more things than just this one area professionally that I've always, that I've excelled at and done really well and been very successful in. And taking stock in that and, and actually owning that and sitting back and saying, wait a minute, no, um, I can translate those abilities and the success I had over here over into virtually anything else on the other side of the table. Now my, my, my real goal is to figure out what, what can I do to, you know, to express myself in another professional area because this is not going to work. Um, that's a little vague, but the, but the standpoint is that really the issue was me stepping back and acknowledging I had a lot of fear here. Uh, but you're sounding so, I, very, so very uncontrollable, but yet I'd be the person who'd be having a panic. I'd be going, oh, you know, just, oh, I can't even get my head to the point of knowing to step back, to step back and have a look at it. Or, um, yeah, I, I can just imagine being in a whirlwind of, I don't know, just self-destruction almost because I wouldn't be able to grasp a way forward. 
A good metaphor is how our eyes work. When our eyes are young, the lenses inside our eyes are able to change their focus based on what you choose to look at. So if you put your hand right in front of your face, eight or 10 inches away, or a, you know, a third of a meter, and you focus on the palm of your hand, young eyes can focus on those lines, the skin, the ridges in your hand, and then pull your hand away and the eye can immediately focus on something 20 meters away at a great distance, just by sheer choice of will. The older eyes get, the less able they are, they are to do that particular skill, shift from a near focus to a far focus. But the metaphor of that is resentment or exhaustion or fear can arise when one says, the job to which I have been loyal is being taken away or is endangered. And that's what I focus on. It's right in front of my <clears throat> face. It's right here. It's what I'm going to face tomorrow morning at nine o'clock, but instead to change on something more distant in a month, in six months, in a year, who will right. I be? What are my new options? Right. How can I choose a different doorway and change your focus from the hand right in front of your face, which leads you to resentment or fear, and look at something now that's possible, maybe forced upon you possible, but it's possible. And now you look with excitement and with a sense of thrill at something that now could be true but wouldn't have been if you had remained stuck where you were. So it's a, it, the metaphor of the ability of the eye to change its focus is also true of a human life, being able to choose to focus on things distant instead of things close. I think it comes back to, you know, I, I, I uh, identify and understand with, you know, the, the ah, and everything is in, in, you know, craziness, that part of it, what we call, you know, defined as, as chaos, that's unexpected, uncontrollable, is to know that that's what the definition is. So then the question is, what can I control? What can I set up to expect? Uh, if I understand that, and I pull that together, the, the, I think the problem comes, or the real challenge comes, when we see a situation like this as a, you know, as a tsunami wave that's washing over us with all of the power of what's going on, instead of seeing it really much more as a singularity, it's really this small stream I need to deal with. Right. Uh, that and some comes people out will of a much larger body of water. Some people will look at a tsunami and say, "I'm gonna die." And another person looks at the same tsunami and says, I'm getting my surfboard because right. that is the most thrilling wave to come in my lifetime. And so right. the question then is, is the tsunami destructive or thrilling? That's based on what it does to you and what are you going to do with it? Those are the two key questions we keep coming back to. What is it doing to you? What are you going to do with it? And a tsunami can be the thrill ride of a life, or it can be what pulls you under and takes you out to sea. Right.
speaking of thrilling, well, actually, I think exciting would be um, to go back to the office, to be honest, for people who've been working from home for such a long time and who were used to all of the dynamics of office work, um, including even the commute or including even choosing the clothes and things like that. Um, it's all, you know, kind of a ritual whole thing about going into work and um so I personally, although I'm not working in an office now, but I can imagine that for people in my kind of um, area of banking, which was a lending role, you know, um, not essential, I don't, well, could have been done from re remote uh, working. I think to actually go back into the office and have those uh, in office experiences with other people and in all its different forms would be really exciting. I would have missed it dreadfully. There, there are people for whom doing a spreadsheet, calculating the numbers and coming up with an answer, yes or no, is really the way they do uh, business lending. But there's a lot of people that love the, what was in your eyes right now? When you licked your lips, what did that actually mean? Let me read your face. Let me read your body language. Yeah. You can't get that from a remote setting. And it's not just the spreadsheet of dollars, numbers, and yes or no answers. It's now the finesse. It's not the science of banking. It's the art. And there are people who just love that stuff. And so the change of environments right now, uh, including all three of those options, have various benefits and various liabilities based on who you are and how you experience that. And so a really fascinating dynamic that I'm sure is the flip side of this is the dynamic of where you have people who are in control, who are, are the bosses, are the people that that are setting the parameters and they are individuals who really would rather be left alone <laughs> and not have to interact and do not get excited one whit about coming back in and hanging out with a bunch of people in the office. They like this remote thing. They like where they can mute people and they can turn them on and turn them off. Yeah, you know, that's a or, power struggle. Oh, it's huge. They're losing like their power. <laughs> They're losing their power. And so you're going to find that there are some organizations that they're going to keep that because to them, that's more effective. You know, the dynamic of where you're sitting here talking to the two, that's what I was smiling and chuckling about, is that you're sitting here saying, oh, this would be so fun. I can't wait to get back to the office. And I'm looking at my colleague going, he's like rolling his eyes going, really? No, 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 no. There is an individual who owns one of the biggest corporations in the entire world. And, and we are on his website right now, who wears uh, dark gray pants and a gray t-shirt every single day. That is his professional attire. And the reason for that is I don't have to think about my wardrobe. I can get up, I can put a clean gray shirt on and go to work. And only when he appears before US Congress does he have to put on a suit. He has someone dress him. But other than that, wardrobe, that's okay. the way I am. Okay, so remember that, that you know, the people who listen to me are more, more likely to be women. Yes. 
Yes. Not wearing we realize this. There are women who pants, like to wear a gray t-shirt and <laughs> yeah. And I celebrate you. <laughs> I no makeup, live. no hair done, <laughs> flat shoes and a gray shirt. Love it. <laughs> but that's not most oh. of our clientele. Right, not, right. At all. not at all. <laughs> so I feel that it would be a fairly common experience of um, many women in particular um, to, to having anxiety around what's happening with their workplaces right now, yeah. especially yeah. if they haven't yet settled into whatever the new normal is for them. Um, right. And at, for lots of reasons, lots of different levels, thinking of you know things like family impacts, um, even pets, for goodness sake, you know, pets yeah. have become so used to having us at home and that gets to change. And then there's all the flow on effects of that, which can be awful, um, quite distressing. So also things like, you know, what's happening with her career? You know, what was looking like a promising pathway might have evaporated and, um, or, I mean, just you can imagine there are just many, many different um, things that, that we could look around and say, well, gee, that could be a problem, I feel, you know, which can, can lead us to feeling anxious about, you know, what might happen, not necessarily about what has happened, but just about what might happen. Right. So I, I, I think that if we were to help someone um, sort of, find a way to look at their anxiety in perhaps a different way that would be um maybe that would be helpful i don't know if i'm asking too much here but one thing i would say is it's very normal for us isn't it to imagine what might happen and to have feelings of concern or even um celebration and excitement about things that might happen but those things also might not happen so uh, it's always worth asking yourself the question I think you know am I jumping too quickly on this with this emotion or you know um, is it real for you know is, the, is this really likely <clears throat> that's probably the first thing and that's just some old advice isn't it that parents used to give us you know the old, well, one, one of the keys in one of the keys in all this is to be able to identify the emotion that you're feeling. All emotions are legitimate. So you might be very, very sad. You could be excited. You could be resentful. Uh, you could be overwhelmed. They're all valid. But the question that presents itself is, what is that emotion doing to you? It may be helping you go through a tough situation and your emotions of fear or your emotions of resentment are actually powering you forward. But it also could be presenting a block. And here's my advice. Take somewhere between one literal day and three literal days to feel the current emotion and decide, is this beneficial to where I'm going in life or is this a block? If it's a block, after three days of wallowing and moaning and complaining and being stuck, don't let it go more than 72 hours. Choose another course and step aside. 
if it's helping you, hold on to it, use it, don't deviate from that. But take one day to three days, that's enough time to spend on an emotion that is blocking you. And then say, on the fourth day, I'm stepping to the side to something new. That will help you immensely. And I would say in that, as you're doing that, one of the things you're going to have, uh, you will be having probably multiple emotions throughout that time and go for the primary emotion that is happening for you. Don't try and sort out four or five or six different kinds of emotions. Find the primary one. If it's a primary one of fear or it's a primary one of regret, figure out what that is. Stay with that one. And as Mike said, if it's helping you, then keep building on that. If it's dragging you into the abyss, the emotional abyss, if you will, then three days is plenty. Then realize that's what it is. But I want to encourage you not to try and combine several, even though they're going on. We know that. We know there's going to be several kinds of different emotions happening with you. Look for the main driver, the primary one that's affecting your life right now. So you're telling me I'm allowed to feel my emotions. I'm allowed to spend time with my emotions. That's exciting. Yeah. (laughs) I used to get told off for having emotions. Do you know that? Told off for having emotions. Sure, absolutely. And and one of the problems is people don't understand emotion. So when you're experiencing something powerful, something potent, that can frighten others who don't know what to do with their own emotions. And so the idea then is just stop it. We're not advocating stop the emotion. It really is take ownership for it and decide, is this helping me or hindering me? If it's hindering you, you decide that, no one else, then you can step to the side and go some different direction. But if it's helping you and you say, I'm crying, but I've worked this job for 20 years and I've got a lot of grief to get out of my life as I let this go, I'm not going to tell you that's wrong. That's good for you to go through the grieving process just as if you lost your mother or your favorite animal. or I mean, a loss is a loss. And so dealing with the grief of that is okay. You decide at the point, this is hindering me or this is helping me. And and I celebrate every single option that a person will choose in that way. And embracing that is so, so important. And you'll find, particularly with intense emotions, the people around you they don't know what to do with those things. So what do they do? They say, oh, well, it's okay. Okay. You know, they're trying to make it better when really what they're trying to do is get you to stop having an intense emotion because it's really bothering them. Right. And they don't know what to do with that. And we're saying, no, let her go. It'll be fine. Don't, you know, let, let that happen in your life and, and you'll be okay. Uh, But it's, figuring out what is that emotion that's taking place that is core, that's primary. Yeah, it is. It's okay just to deal with your emotions. That's not a bad thing. Uh, And it's really helpful if you do. Yeah. So uh, I did want to go back to that thing about the primary emotion because you, 
I can well understand that we experience more than one at a, in any moment and figure it out. How do I figure it out? How do I establish that sadness is primary over um, anger? I could be having both. And <laughs> I reckon anyway, I think it's quite possible if I'm sad, I'm also angry. That seems to be the way I do. But um, how do I know which one is the primary? And, you know, what would you, what's your experience? Tell me. Ang anger is <laughs> about change. It's about getting power. And if the drive, if you would be satisfied with change, you get to control the outcome, then your primary emotion is anger. If you would be benefited the most by healing, then it's sadness or grief. And the question then is, mm -hmm. what, what are you looking as your outcome right now? I need to recover or I need to get control. And then you'll know which emotion is the one is your primary. Uh, okay. So the question becomes, what do I need? Yes. What, what will resolve what do I need where most you are right now? Right. Outcome. What is the outcome that you are looking to have happen? And, and then you can you reverse can engineer. Yeah. Yeah. That's yes. really what you're doing. Right. That's really what you're doing. Right. I see. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to try that. I just need some more emotions. I mean, so, <laughs> well, if a person says, you know, this seems really absurd, but I need to go on vacation to the coast and just play in the water for a while. That's a healing issue. That means the primary emotion you have is grief or pain or loss. Yeah. If you say, I'm going to dive into work and I'm going to take uh, some weapons with me and I am loaded to go hunting, then anger is where you are. And it really has to do with your, your mind will settle on a particular kind of outcome and you work backwards from that. Exactly as you said, a reverse engineering will tell you where you really are. And we and I would say, so let's just let's take the couple of other ones and say, so I want to run away. I just want to get away. I don't want to be around. I want to deal with any of this because I just don't want to. Well, I would say, okay, then there's fear because yeah. now you want to escape. So your resolution is just sure. to escape. Um, I just want to, all I want to do is I just, I want to go play. I just want to go celebrate. I want to have a lot of fun. I want to go hang out with a bunch of people. And I want to get drunk. Enjoy. I want to go with my friends. Drunk. I want to yeah, laugh just, my head off, you know. I want to, yeah, whatever. What is that? That's celebration. celebration. Yep. A celebration. I just need people around me to just, I just need to be hugged and, and told I'm okay. And, and I need affirmation. And, you know, I, that, that's my outcome. Well, that's yeah. what? Acceptance. Acceptance, right? I'm going to call my friends from college or high school and just spend time with people that I love and love me, and that try, that right. that that's what you need, and that's an area of acceptance. So right. you can find what it is that is going to primarily help you today. Now you may say in a week I'm going to get fired up and angry, but right now I need holiday at the coast. That's right. where you are, and it can right. change, but that's a good place to be. Mm. So if, if um, in a moment of, you know, hybrid work and all that, and my 
colleague has managed to negotiate um, work from home and that's what I really wanted but I couldn't get it and I have to go into the office five days a week I'm resentful yeah so I think you know that's not fair Um, I may struggle to even be happy for them you know Um, so I think that's resentment so how, how do I do something with that because I don't really want to be resentful of someone else. I think probably it is the hand in front of your face versus things at a distance. Yeah. When you have that resentment, you're focusing on what she got. She got your choice. She's able to stay home and work remotely. And that's actually what you wanted. So the resentment is someone else has what you wanted. And the, re- and the resolution to that is there can be some advantages you had not even imagined from being the one who goes into work. For you, instead of the bar being set right on the ground as low as possible, the bar has been set higher. And so you have the challenge of reaching to a higher place rather than a lower place. But put it in something very silly. If there's a $20 note or 20 pound note blowing on the street, that poor lady sitting in her jammies with a cup of tea at home is never, ever going to find it. (laughs) But you, you'll find it. So start looking for what's out there instead of what you don't have. Little something about me. I'm not motivated by money, by the way. (laughs) And it's a piece of candy that a baby dropped. I don't care what it is. <laughs> a bird drops on your shoulder, which in Japan is a sign of good, good luck. luck. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. And the person sitting <laughs> safely in her home, is she ever getting that kind of good luck? No. Absolutely not. There's not a chance in the world that she will have good luck drop on her head. But you will. I think I'll stay at home. <laughs> but, she, but she is being trusted to work from home and I'm not. You know, just another concept. But anyways, sure. I can see there's all, all these um, comparisons people could make. Um, <laughs> they can. Absolutely, they can. Yeah. And I would say, I would say that's a, a fascinating statement. And maybe the, the real, coming back to what Mike's saying is, maybe it needs to flip around, is that, the boss doesn't want her in the office because what she does is cause so much mayhem all the time that she doesn't get anything done and she keeps everybody else from getting work done. So leaving her at home is a really good thing so you guys can have a decent community in the office. And that's a really positive thing. Mm. Uh, and it has nothing to do with trust. Absolutely nothing to do with trust. Maybe. Sure. And if the resentment of getting up and getting dressed is really helping you by all means hold on to that but if that's if that's blocking you go from monday till wednesday and on thursday get out of that mud hole because it's doing you no good at all not solving anything all right i'll do that and i'll leave till you have till thursday and then you're out of out of the mud done i do i do actually think there's real merit in this 24 to 72 hour concept. Yeah, absolutely. I hadn't really thought of it in such a structured way before. So that's helpful. Thanks, guys. 
Is there any parting thought that you would like to to pass on? I just think that happens. Yeah, thank you. You can put a four-letter word in there, but the reality is change happens. And and it is part of life itself. So being prepared for the nature of change to everyone at the same time really doesn't matter. It's the change that happens to me. And, and if I'm ready for some kind of change, then I can develop resilience. I can look at other opportunities. And even if it's something I never, ever wanted, it can be by changing my focus from what is in my own hand to what is a few steps down the road. That helps me immensely. And I've learned three days. I'll wallow for three days. I'm like every other human being. I'm not, I'm not magical about this. I'll let myself go two to three days with a really lousy feeling that's acidic. It is miserable. I'm miserable. My family is miserable. But on the fourth day, I say, I'm done with that. I'm going on to something else. And it's a skill like anything. I, sure. I wasn't good at it to begin with. I'm better at it now. It's, and that, I'm, I'm, you know, I've, I've always been um, somewhat surprised that, that there's always such a pushback against change where what Mike said is absolutely true in my mind is that change is, it, it is part of life. And, it, and we want it to be part of life. I mean, if you don't have change, you're going to die. I mean, that's basically it. I mean, our bodies are constantly changing. And so change is really a very good thing. But to me, when people are, are, if they set themselves up to being surprised or shocked that now we're having to change again, I have to do something different, I have to do something new. It's not that I think that we need to be irresponsible in changing and and there are people who are huge change agents. And there are those people who, who have a bit of a challenge with it. But accepting the fact in your mind, there will be change. You may be doing something right now that seems, oh, man, this is good. I feel good. It's just the same thing. I get to do it over and over. But accept in your head, there will be change. So when change happens to you, you're not grumpy. <laughs> you're, you're not highly resistant. You are not looking in the, you know, you're looking at things from a standpoint of saying, I accept in life, there always is going to be change until I no longer exist, you know, for me. Mm-hmm. But go ahead and accept that. And it will be simpler for you to deal with the change if you do that. So all of that from a panel of three change agents who are actually quite fast at making change. And, um, you know, mine isn't a one to three day thing. It's more like a three hour to 24 hour thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, however, um, I have personal experience of people who do take longer to change. And right. I know that that is actually a very important part of their process. And yeah. I think that's okay too. Um right. We, we have all learned to change. We've been children growing through changes galore. And uh, even if in our adulthood we don't accept or we don't acknowledge that we like, that we do change, we actually do change. And yeah. so that's, you know, just perhaps a reminder to um, understand that 
you are good at it. You just do it in your own way, maybe not as fast as me, and that's okay. And maybe faster. And that's true. Maybe faster. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Give me 10 I, seconds. I'm done I with that job. Like I'm out that. the door. <laughs> yep. I'm sure I know someone like that, actually. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. All right. Thank you, Dr. Mike. Thank you, Mike. You're welcome. Until next time.